0: If you have your Bible, please uh, turn to 1 John chapter 3. We will be looking at verses 11 through 18. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. When when fear rushed in, I learned how to hear my heart racing and refused to allow my feelings to sway me. That resilience came from my family. It flowed through my bloodline, said Coretta Scott King. When fear rushed in, I learned to hear My heart racing and refused to allow my feelings to sway me. That resilience came from my family. It flowed through my bloodline. Fear has rushed in. It has rushed into our lives both corporately and individually. We've been through a lot this week as a church. It's been hard. It's been stressful. It's been heartbreaking and it's been fearful. And yet, because of Jesus Christ, we can embrace fear. We can listen to our heart and not be swayed by it. In Christ, we have resili- res- resilience. It flows through our bloodline, our union with him. First John four eighteen says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out all fear. In light of those words, I have a question for y'all this morning. It's a question that the late Rodney King asked way back in the spring of 1992. And it's this question, can we all just get along? Turn to the person sitting next to you and ask them this question. Can we all just get along? Can we? Can we? Can we all just get alone in the midst of our present fear and struggle? Because it's real. Can we all just get alone as we walk through this difficult issue? Can we all just get along in, in our differences? Ethnicity, generational, cultural, economical differences. When life in the village church gets hard, can we all just get along? When doing life. With one another becomes difficult and frustrating. Can we all just get along? When it gets messy, cause like being in church can get messy. And when it gets messy, can we all just get along? When church hurt happens, because it happens and ain't nothing like church hurt, but when it happens, can we all just get along? In First John chapter 3, John is going to show us what we can do to help us get along together. He's also going to show us the things that can hinder us from getting along together. So First John chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart to him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is God's holy, inerrant word. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as I often pray, the the preacher of the word does not give power to the word. The preacher does not do that. He studies, he does his prep, but he doesn't make the word powerful. The spirit does. You do, spirit. And so that means if you don't move, lives aren't changed. People don't come into saving faith. People don't see their sin and repent of it. People don't come to touch to to trust Jesus more. And the word falls on dead hearts and closed ears. So, Holy Spirit, we, we we know our lane. I know my lane. My lane is not your lane. I'm just a messenger. But you are the one who leads into all truth. You are the one who reminds us of the words of Christ. You are the one who lives in all believers. It is your responsibility to, to take the preached word and to apply it to the hearts of everyone that's here. So my prayer is that you will soften our hearts, that you will soften our minds, that you give us the humility to receive the word, give us the humility to let the word convict us, to encourage us, to rebuke us. Give us the humility to let the word rearrange the furniture in our house. Not just to be in the house on the bookshelf, but to rearrange stuff. Let the word have that place in our life. That it can come in and it can change whatever it needs to be changed there. So give us that type of heart. Give us that type of humility. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you grew up with siblings or if you're parents, then you know a little bit about sibling rivalry. The struggle is real. Sibling rivalry is the, the jealousy and the competition and the fighting between brothers and sisters. They compete with each other for their parents' attention and affection. They try to one-up each other in school and sports and achievements and even material possessions. Now some kids, they outgrow this as they get older, so siblings do. Other siblings, well, it continues until adulthood, and it's kinda sad. They compete with each other through their kids when they get older. Through birthday parties, who can throw the biggest birthday party? Through their careers, and so on. So sibling rivalry is in every family. Your family, my family, it's even in God's family. Don't be fooled. There is sibling rivalry amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. There's jealousy. There's competition. There's infighting. There's envy. There's even hatred. It's in all churches, and it's even in this church. Sibling rivalry, it hinders us from getting along together. It gets in the way. Now, we will struggle with sibling rivalry as a church, but it does not have to be part of our DNA of the village church. And that's an amen statement. Okay. All right. Come on now. Still got to train, y'all. TVC shouldn't be known for sibling rivalry. When we have guests that come into our body, or they come to our small groups or to our um, gatherings, sibling rivalry should not be what they see. We should be known for sibling love. Sibling love. First John, the verse, look at verse 11. It says, for this is the message that you heard From the beginning that we should love one another. That we should love one another. This message of love, it comes from Jesus Christ himself. It's the new commandment that he gives his disciples before the cross, before the resurrection, before the ascension. He tells them in the gospel of John, a new commandment I give you. That you should love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. By this All people would know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. Jesus' words did not die out with the apostles. Okay? That command to love one another is still active. The message to love your neighbor is still active. Paul himself, Paul says in Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Saint sibling love should be on display in our community, not sibling rivalry. Sibling love, it helps us get along with one another. But sibling rivalry is a hindrance. It is a hindrance. Now, sibling robbery is not a new concept. It's always it's it's been around for centuries. Sibling robbery is even in the first family of the Bible. Did you know that? Between two brothers, Cain and Abel. They grew up together. These boys are the two sons of Adam and Eve. Cain is the oldest son. Abel is the youngest. These two brothers grew up together They're doing what brothers do. They grew into young men with different gifts and different responsibilities and different strengths and weaknesses and responsibilities. They even have different jobs and careers. Cain is a farmer, Abel is a herdsman. But now, as the days and weeks and months and years pass by, the brother's relationship changed. Some unresolved issues are there. There's some brokenness. And one day, everything hits the fan. It all hits the fan one day. And it happens when they both bring an offering to the Lord God from their different jobs. And both brothers want their offering to be received by the Lord. It would favor Cain brings uh, an offering of the Lord, a fruit from the ground. That's what he brings him from the fruit of the ground. He brings the Lord an offering and his brother Abel. He brings an offering from the firstborn of his flock and its fat portions. God accepts one offering and he rejects the other. The word says God has regard for Abel's offering, but for Cain and his offering, the Lord does not have regard. The Bible doesn't give us a reason why he responds to the brothers this, this way. Though it seemed that Cain is not approved because he doesn't bring the first fruits of the ground to the Lord. He brings God his second his leftovers. How do you think Cain is going to respond to the Lord's rejection? Will he be positive? Would he be negative? Oh, it's the latter. He gets angry. His face falls down. He, he loses his temper. He's in a bad mood. He mopes around because the Lord rejects his offering. And the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, Will you not be accepted? If you do well, will you not be accepted? You See, Cain knows why his offering isn't accepted. He knows it. That's why the Lord asked him those two questions. He shouldn't be surprised by the Lord's response. He shouldn't be angry. He shouldn't be moping around. He, he should feel conviction and sorrow because God catches him bringing him leftovers. And here's another thing. He can't deflect what has happened. He can't shift blame. He can't play the victim. He can't go to the Lord God and say, but Abel. That should sound familiar to all the kids here. When you get caught doing something you shouldn't do and you say to your parents, but my brother, but, 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 but my sister, Cain can't say to God, Abel never gets caught bringing leftovers. Abel never gets into trouble. He gets to do whatever he wants to do. Abel, 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 perfect Abel. He gets to play with animals and I gotta work in the hot sun all day. It's not fair. Everyone is against me. No one loves me. I'm the victim, Lord. I'm the victim. TVC kids, this is question is for you. Look at Pastor Alex. Who made the decision to give the Lord God his leftovers? Who? Was that Cain's decision or Abel's decision? Was it God's decision or Cain's decision? Yes. It's Cain's decision. It's not God's fault. It's not his brother's fault. Cain should take responsibility. For the choices that he makes, admit he gave the Lord his leftovers, but it doesn't admit that he didn't bring God his first fruits. The Lord even invites Cain to own his sin and even repent of. He says to him, "If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. That means you must own it, confess it, and repent of it. That's what it means to own it, not going to the cross for it." That's what Jesus does. But Again, will he heed God's advice? Will he listen to sound reason? Will he accept responsibility? No, he doesn't. Instead, he turns against his own brother. And what he does to his brother is what I call sibling rivalry gone bad. Completely bad. It's not a picture of getting along together. It's a picture of destruction, harm, and evil. After his executive session meeting with the Lord, Cain leads his younger brother into a field. Not for a brotherly talk, not to work on their relationship, not to do work together. But not to have a coming to Jesus conversation. He leads his brother to the field in order to cause his brother harm. The text says Cain raises up against his younger brother, takes his own life. With his own hands, sheds his own brother's blood and leaves him to bleed out in the field alone as if his brother has no value, no dignity, no self-worth. There is no getting along between them and there never will be a chance for them to get alone. Cain doesn't value his brother's life, doesn't love him, doesn't care about him. And when the Lord confronts Cain about what he did and he he others to God, those infamous words, you know the words, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's babysitter? No, Cain, you're not your brother's keeper. You're You're your brother's murderer. Sibling rivalry gone bad, really, really bad. And it can quickly go bad, within the church as well. Sibling rivalry within the church can, can can really be bad as well. And last week, we had a taste of this. We felt it. We feared it. We prayed about it. We sta- it stared us in the face. The elders and deacons, we thought it could turn physical and, and deadly, but thanks be to God it didn't. TVC Saints, the church Can become a community where sibling rivalry feels at home. It can. Where jealousy, envy, competition, infighting, and threats set up shop. We can fear and be suspicious of each other. We can slander each other. We can gossip about one another. We can tear each other down with our actions and words. We can intimidate one another. We can compete with each other for attention and recognition and glory and control of the church. We can create camps and tribes within the church. We can, this, we can have disregard for relational boundaries. And we can treat one another like pariah. Or we can simply ignore each other's presence. Listen, beloved, the church isn't supposed to function in robbery. Robbery, it would hinder us from getting alone together. We're not supposed to treat one another like Cain treated his brother. Look at verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Why did he take his life? Because Cain's own deeds were evil and his brother's deeds were righteous. There's a particular reason why John uses these two brothers as an example. And, and it's not an example of how Christians are supposed to relate to one another. That's not the example. And Christians are, are God's people. And these are people who have saving faith in Jesus. People who have confessed their sins, repenting of those sins, and received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because Christ died on the cross for all your sins. And the question is, have you received him as Lord and Savior? Because if you have not received him, then you're just going through the motions. Coming to church don't save you. A relationship with Jesus does. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And after God saves you, he brings you into a family. Okay, you're not the only child of God, okay? You may think you are. And your culture and ethnicity is not the only ones that's been in the kingdom either. God has a lot of kids. And he's not a deadbeat dad. He takes care of all his kids. So you have many brothers, many sisters. And God does not have favorites. He loves all of us equally. And we are not adopted into God's family so that we can relate to one another in rivalry. That's not what he brought us into this family to do to one another. He called us to relate to one another with sibling love. He brought us together so that we can get along together. So that we can be our brother's keeper and our sister's keeper. Because God is your keeper. Is he not? Is he not? Ask yourself the question, how does God relate to you? Does he keep you? Yes. Does he love you? Yes. Does he value you? Yes. Does he treat you with dignity? Yes. So we are to treat one another the same way. Our example is never man, it's Jesus. Cain's treatment of his brother is actually an example of how the world We treat God's people. Look at verses 12 and 13. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. Notice what he doesn't say. Christians. doesn't say the church. He says the world. And the world is the unbelieving world. Don't be caught off guard when the lost world resents you and envies you. Don't be surprised that the unbelieving world turns against you. Don't be surprised when this country that we live in doesn't submit to our Christian values and beliefs. Because America is not a Christian nation. It's a fallen nation like every other nation in the world. Christian values don't make you a Christian. Satan got Christian values. But he don't believe in Jesus and that no what he's been in need of Jesus. Don't be surprised when the unbelieving world pushes you to the margins of life, margins of society. Don't be surprised when, when high maintenance and entitled and, and the privileged church in America loses her privilege. Because one day we could. Don't be surprised when the world treats you like Cain. Treated his brother. You should expect that. But when it happens in the church, that should surprise you. When the church—that's that, a amen statement. Okay, all right. When the church operates like the world, that should surprise you. Be surprised when the church becomes a community of rivalry. Be surprised when the, when those in the local church and the universal church hate each other when we refuse to fellowship, when we refuse to reconcile, when we refuse to get along. Let your heart break when the church is filled with envy and infighting and separation and division and backstabbing. Let that break your heart. Let your heart break when when believers rip each other apart on on, on social media because of political differences. Watch what watch what Christians do in the 2020 election. You won't even think they Christians about by the things they're going to do. That's on the right and left. Watch them. Don't watch what the world does. Watch what those do who claim to know Christ. And let that break your heart. Because remember, by your love for one another, the world would know that you are my disciples. Not by how you vote. Not by how you vote. When members threaten each other, let that break your heart. Let your heart break when members in the local church just can't seem to get along. TBC Saints, sibling robbery can't live here. We shouldn't want it to live here. Sibling love is what each of us should want to see present within our body to be, as Dr. King would say, the beloved community. And our love for one another, it shows that we are Jesus' disciples. It shows that. It's an extraordinary manifest- manifestation of our faith in Jesus. Verse 14 says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. Because we love the brothers and sisters. Do you love fellow Christians? Do you love your brothers and sisters in this church? Brothers and sisters who are different from you, different culture, different ethnicity, different voting style, different way of parenting. Different generations. Do you love them? Do you love the person sitting next to you? Do you love those who aren't here? Can we really get along? We're either going to love each other or tolerate each other. One of the two. Just don't tolerate each other. Actually love one another. Verse 14b and 15 says, Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. These are hard words from John. Christians aren't to live in hatred. We aren't to live in indifference towards one another. We're not to gather in, in camps and tribes that they seek to destroy one another. We're not to live in racism. We're not to live in gossip. We're not to live talking behind each other's backs. We don't live in discrimination. We don't live to, to disrespect relational boundaries. When when people you are in a relationship with in this church, if they set up a boundary with you, don't cross the boundary. If you cross the boundary, that you you sin against them. Respect the boundary. We're not to live in a judgmental spirit. We're not to live in a, in any type of superiority. No, we're not called to live that way. We don't live in injustice. We don't live thinking we're better than people who are here or better than people who are out there. Nor are we to live to kill off our wounded, even the ones who have hurt us. We have wounded people in our body. And if we kill them off, what does that actually say about the type of church we are? It's easy to say, I don't want you here anymore. Just get out of my sight. But just know, Jesus never says that to us. He never says that to us. Brothers and sisters, sibling robbery and sibling love cannot cohabitate in our community. One is a hindrance. One is a helper. One prevents us. One helps us to persevere. One will die and one will flourish. Which one? We make that decision. In our village groups, in our small groups, in our gatherings, will we have sibling robbery or will it be sibling love? One of those will have to die and one will flourish. But it cannot coexist. It cannot. Look at verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Did you know, if you have faith in, 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 in God and Jesus, do you know what Jesus has done for you? He has, he shielded you, he shields you from the wrath of God. Please know that. He shields you from that. Well, how does he do do that? Because it was all poured on him at the cross. Everything that he went through on that cross was meant for each of you. Well, Pastor, I'm a good person. I I help people. I pay my tithes. I volunteer. I serve. So, that don't save you. You still you still have sin. You still need the blood of Jesus to cover you. God isn't looking for good works. Good works don't atone for sin. Death does. The shedding of blood is what God wants. It's either gonna be your blood or Jesus' blood. And only his blood can atone. He covered us. He he took the full impact of God's wrath upon the cross in our place. And Jesus laid down his life. For sinners, okay? He didn't lay down his life for churchgoers, for good southern folk, for people who wave at you when you go by. He died for sinners. Sinners. And his life wasn't taken from him. Please know that. Because he could have came down from that cross at any moment. He freely laid down his life to pay the price for all of your sin. And three days later, we know he rose again, right? He did, he did. John says we we know love by looking at the cross. He doesn't say we feel it. He doesn't say we see it, he says we know it. We know it. By this we know love, Jesus laid down his life for his enemies, Again, please know you were God's enemy before you were his son or daughter. He died for it. He turns enemies into kids and friends. That's part of adoption. That's, made, that's what makes Christianity so wonderful. He doesn't. He changes your whole title before God. Your whole position changes because of Christ. He turns enemies into friends. That, that love is action. Romans five eight says, "God showed His love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us." He didn't die for you before you made profession of faith. He died. He died before, before you did that. He doesn't say, "Get yourself right, then come." I died for you because you'll never be able to get yourself right. So guess what? You can stop trying to be me. You can stop trying to be me because you're not me. I'm the second person of the Trinity. What are you? You're not God. Your your death and your hard work and you li- living a legalistic lifestyle. That what is that gonna do? It's just gonna make you live a joyless Christian life. That's what it's gonna do. Stop trying to get on the cross with me. There's only room for one person. And please know I'm gonna resurrect. I don't know, but you, uh, you, you you're you're not coming back. I'm the Christ. Let me be the Christ and you be you. Let me do, let me stay in my lane and you stay in your lane. Your lane is to receive and enjoy. My lane is to die and be resurrected and to continue to intercede for you. So Some of you just need to enjoy what Christ has done. You can't earn favor that he's already given you. You have it all. All God's love is you have it right now. Think about that. All of it at this moment. Even when you don't have a quiet time. Even when you had a whole whole week and you didn't pray. Even when you missed three days, three Sundays of church. He still loves you. But do you believe that? Do you believe that for yourself? We place shame and guilt on ourselves. God doesn't do that. What he is saying, lighten up. And just enjoy. Rest. Live free. In Christ, all of y'all get along with God. And he gets along with y'all. Do you believe that? And if God gets along with us, then we should be able to get along with one another. That's an amen statement. We are a local body of Christ here. In this body, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. The head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. The parts of our body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The parts that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Our unpresentable parts, we should be, we should treat with greater modesty. Our Heavenly Father has so composed our local church, given greater honor to the parts that like it, likes it, that, that there be no division within this church. We are all members of this body and we should care for one another. If one member suffers, we all suffer. If one member is honored, we all rejoice. Getting along with one another looks like suffering together. And, it, and those of you who know, we are dealing with some stuff. Are we, are, are we lamenting over it? Are we suffering together over it? It also looks like rejoicing together. It looks like loving one another. And this love is a sacrificial, selfless love. That's what that's because that's how Jesus loves you. By this, we know love. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for brothers and sisters. Is this the way you love? Is this the way Our church loves. Are we willing to lay down our lives for one another? We have to be willing to lay down our lives for each other in Christ. If we're going to be a place where sibling love flourishes. We have to be willing to do that. And please understand, a love that leads us to lay down our lives isn't necessarily talking about dying, but it could be. One Christian writer says, love is the willingness to surrender that which has value for your own life in order to enrich the life of another. And I read that again. Love. It's the willingness to surrender that which has value for your own life in order to enrich the life of another. Are you willing to lay aside certain privileges, rights, pleasures, habits, possessions, status and attitudes or whatever in order to enrich another person's life in our church? That's a question from the leadership down. Because many people come to church and and are like, what can I consume from the church? What I'm saying to you is, what are you willing to lay aside to be part of this church? If you're a guest and you're not a member and you want to become a member, what are you willing to lay aside? What privileges are you willing to lay aside in order to enrich our community? Consumer Christianity is real. And we're all part of it. So the question is, what are you willing to give away? It's harder than you think. But it's required if we're going to be a community of sibling love. If we're going to get along with one another. Now, sibling love doesn't mean we overlook wrongs. Okay? It doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to sin or to injustice, issues. It doesn't mean we operate in silence. Sibling love, it involves holding people accountable. It involves speaking the truth in love. And sometimes that's tough love. Okay? So love doesn't mean we just, we're going to be doormats. Okay? It's accountable. It's responsible. And sometimes loving people means letting them suffer the consequences for their decisions. Because you, and parents, you need to know that too. You can't rescue your kids every time. One day, your love for them is going to be, they need to deal with that consequence. And it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt you. But you got to let them go through it. Because if you save them every time, they ain't ever going to learn. Again, can we get along? How many of you are saying to yourself, come on, Pastor Alex. I love everybody in this church. I and mean, this is the village church. I and mean, we cross-cultural and you know, we're all trying to get together and get along, and saying cool about y'all. Y'all love everybody here. <laughs> yeah, that may be true, but I seriously doubt it. But I want, you to take, I want you to notice something that John does in in verses 16 and 18. He writes, "By this we know that that he lay, by this we know love that he laid on his life for us, and we also laid on our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him." How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. In, in verse 16, John talks about our brothers, more than one. But in verse 17, he says brother, one. And that's not by accident. It's by design. And, and, and C.S. Lewis, he captures perfectly what John's intent is in these two verses. Listen to what, uh, C.S. Lewis says. It is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, irritating, depraved, and otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Loving everybody in general may be your excuse for loving nobody in particular. Saying I love everybody in general, saying I love every person in our church in general, saying I love the lost in general, saying I love my enemies in general, saying I love people from all nations in general, may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Who do you particularly love in the village church? In light of what we're dealing with, Can we particularly love the brother involved or we just want to see him punished? Can we particularly pray for the brother involved or we just want to see him just gone? Can we particularly pray for his restoration or we just glad he ain't here? TVC Saints, God doesn't love you generally. He loves you particularly. But do you believe that? And do you also believe we're called to love particular people? Not just those that are easy to get along with. Paul says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Said so, tribulation, distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword. He says, knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers, or no things present or no things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation would be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But do you believe that truth? And do you live in that truth? In Christ, let us strive to get along together. In Christ, let us strive to love particular people well. Even when we got to give them tough love, because loving one another, the command that Christ gave it implies loving brothers and sisters that's hard to love and, and, and given what we're dealing with that's it's going to be hard for us, but we need to be praying towards that. Let us pray, Holy Spirit, Father, Jesus, Son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you don't love people in general, but you love particular people, people who are messy, people who don't have it all together, even people who think they have it all together. You still love them. And so my prayer is that as we move, I know that one sermon does not go make a difference in our life. But what we're dealing with is just a long-term process. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will move, I pray that you will protect. I pray that you will give courage. I pray that you give wisdom. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let us stand as